Welcome to the Dry Life Podcast. My name is Kayla and I'm your host. And today I have a very special guest, actually the first guest we've ever had on the podcast. So this is her second time being with us. A good friend of mine, S. Hey, Kayla. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to come on the podcast again. Of course. Like we had talked about, I think you have the perfect podcast voice. So I was like, <laughs> We need to have a real full podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So for those who are just tuning in and maybe didn't listen to like our first pilot, why don't you tell them a little bit about you and, um, you know, your role in the sober community? Yeah, for sure. So I'm S, otherwise known as Sober Otter on Instagram, and I am just a little bit over one year sober. And the reason that I'm sober is because I found this amazing uh, community on Instagram, which includes Kayla. Kayla and I met through uh, a Find Your Sober Sisters type post. I think it was on like Mm -hmm. Sober Girl Society or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So just being a part of the Instagram sober community has allowed me to make so many friendships and kind of learn about different ways to recover. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Actually, um, Maria M. Snazzy is going to be in town. That's why I was asking what you were doing this weekend, because she's going to be here on Saturday. So I think she's going to come by my new place. But it's just like, you know, Instagram, such a simple, you know, platform, bringing you people from other states, other places that you, we may have never, you know, actually ran into each other, because neither of us, you know, do a a sobriety program that requires you to go to a meeting and Uh, so yeah definitely I even like if you are going to meetings like you can still meet so many people that you wouldn't otherwise cross path with paths with sorry no totally so it's it's pretty I mean I feel like social media gets a bad rep in general for mental health and stuff and it can be but there are so many good things that can come out of social media and the community that it brings. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good point too. like trying to balance social media. It can kind of go the opposite way where it can be overwhelming or you start to compare yourself with other people. So I think I do have to limit my use sometimes. That's a good point. I mean, I know we've talked about this before when you've kind of had to take your social media breaks. So how is that? How do you think that affects you, you know, having to go on those breaks? Do you think that it's something that you would recommend other people do as well, especially, you know, you're an influencer, not just, you know, it's not, you have a personal account, but I would say that Sober Otter is definitely more of like a a platform. Yeah. And it's, it's very personal too. So I think sometimes I feel very connected to it and I need to take a step back because I get kind of so wrapped up in it and I care so much about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I kind of have to like set hours for myself and be like, okay, I'm I'm like not going to look at it this weekend because I want to be fully present and I just want to be in the moment that I'm in. But at other times I feel like I'll check it more like if I need more connection or there's someone I'm having a conversation with who's reached out to me that I really feel like we're you know, having a good conversation and we're talking about resources and our experiences. So it kind of just depends. Like I, I try to keep a balance for sure. 
So I know when we first met, did you did you think that your intention when making the Sober Otter account, like, did you always want to be kind of like a sober influencer or did it just kind of happen? Like, did you have any even intentions with the account in general or was it just kind of an accountability place? Like, Yeah, I, I think it started as like a, a sober diary for myself. And I don't even know if I would call myself like an influencer now. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm not that important. I am. <laughs> I'm calling you one. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think it started as more of a diary for me to stay accountable for my myself. And I also at the time, I didn't know anyone in person who yeah. was sober, who didn't drink and was in a part of a recovery community. And so part of it was just trying to find that connection and craving a connection. And I had heard on um, a podcast about a girl who had created this sober Instagram. And I kind of opened up this whole big door, like this whole new world that I had never even thought existed and that I didn't know Instagram could even be used for that kind of thing. So it's been an interesting adventure. And like you said, I mean, I've met so many people who I wouldn't otherwise have crossed paths with. Yeah, I'm, I think I can look back to like, when we first met at like the Rooster Cafe, you know, how much this is like this group, especially our group, the dry club has grown since then, you know, I had no idea you know, how far we've come. And so it's kind of exciting to think about like what the next year is going to hold for us. And just, I think the online sober community in general, Mm -hmm. because it really is growing. Yeah. Call it trending, call it whatever you want. But, you know, I think like you said, nobody really thinks of Instagram as like a place to get sober. (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) But it can can be, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can connect with so many people, especially during the pandemic when meetings are not happening in person and when resources are limited. I know that there are a lot of treatment centers that are closed and, um, you know, going online can seem impersonal, but I think with the right people and the right group, it really can be, just the same if not better than in-person connections because you're really getting to know these people like right away and and being vulnerable with each other and just being transparent because I feel like when you're when you're talking in person there's still that kind of you know like shield up that wall Mm -hmm. because it's intimidating where I feel like you can be a little bit more vulnerable and online you know because you have that that screen kind of protector literally yeah definitely I think too there's that added kind of aspect of if you truly want to be anonymous and not show your face like you don't even have to do that you can show up and just like post pictures of quotes or you know things around your garden I've seen that before like showcase your hobbies but still be a part of the recovery conversation yeah and I think that's one thing like nobody nobody expects anything from anybody, at least in the recovery communities, I think that we're a part of, you know, if you want to be open and transparent, that's awesome. And if you're not ready, that's okay, too. You know, it's just about, I think, putting your hat in the ring. And I know, in like one of the books that I'm reading, that's about habit changing and and behavior changing. 
they said a really great way to change a habit is to create some sort of accountability for yourself on social media and let people know what you're doing because that kind of puts a little pressure on you that you might not normally have. And I think for a lot of people that that might be a good thing, you know, everybody's different, but I know for me, and I I think for you too, it was once you're, once you're out there, uh, you know, it's, it's harder when you're thinking about, Oh, you know, should I have a drink or, you know, is the sober life really for me? And you're like, well, you know, I have all these people that are kind of watching my journey. And I think it puts, I, I think, at least for me, my, my doubts are lessened. Mm-hmm. No, I totally sense. agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, I, I have a like personal Instagram too, where I, I don't talk about sobriety and I've posted a handful of times, usually on like my stories about, you know, either an event I was having or something I was involved in. And so some people know that I'm sober and that this Instagram exists and it definitely is accountability when people that, you know, personally see what you're doing and, you know, realize you're doing this sober thing. You don't want to turn around and drink again because part of you doesn't want to you know let all of that go and I think it is an accountability thing like you said it may not be for everyone but it's definitely I think for me kind of helps me stay on the right track too yeah and I mean besides the obvious you know the accountability and meeting other people making an Instagram and you know having that sobriety account do you think that that's actually helped your recovery like in general in other ways? Yeah, I I think so. I think it's just been nice to reflect on what I've posted and kind of remember, Oh yeah, I was feeling that I don't feel like that anymore or wow, I've grown so far. Like I, I can't believe I've come this far. Like I can't see, I can't wait to see how far I can continue to go. So it's nice to have, that reflection and kind of like virtual diary. Yeah. And that, I think that's literally, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like when you go back in your old diary, you're like reading your excerpts and you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> what yeah. was I saying? Or what was I thinking here? Like, it seems silly or it seems, you know, you can laugh at it or, you know, smile at it and get a little, a little memory. Um, but I know also like at least you know, when you are co-hosting and I think even now when you jump on the account and I know, you know, I'm taking over Thursdays right now, but I feel like I've learned a lot more about alcohol through social media that I, that I never would have known just the actual like statistics and facts, because I've done research, you know, to create content, but then also I'll be reading something else somebody's posted and I'll be curious about it. So I'll go on a website or I'll go on an article and it's like, I've, I've learned so much about, I think, you know, what alcohol is as a substance and how it affects the body and, you know, the death statistics and things like that, which are, you know, it's shocking to know and it, and it's scary, but I'm, I feel a lot more informed because I'm, following all these other sober people and I think we're giving each other information and I know at least from from our community and our standpoint like everything's sourced so it's not like we're just making things up and putting it out there mm-hmm. it's you know these are real the CDC who NIH and 
I know a lot of people, like when we put that, um, that graph out about, you know, alcohol being the most, um, what was it, dangerous or, um, well, it negatively affected those around you the most. And then it was one of the, you know, top most dangerous drugs Mm -hmm. to Mm self-harm. And so it was, people were just shocked by that when, when you put it in a graph next to, you know, heroin and meth and all these other drugs that are super stigmatized, you know, no one's going around socially doing heroin. But when you look at it on a graph and see that heroin is not really that much more dangerous than alcohol Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, it puts it allows people, I think, to see alcohol in a different perspective. And, you know, at least I don't think the majority of people are going out on their own and researching. So it's really cool to be able to have this platform where you can give people information that you've learned and facts and statistics and stuff like that. Whatever you read, if you find it useful for your own sobriety, you can share that with, you know, an entire community. And maybe that person who reads it never would have been able to come upon that if they weren't following you, you know? So it's a whole new generation of possibilities, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's one awesome thing about um, a thousand hours dry is that you do put a lot of effort into trying to collect like evidence-based material and facts and statistics. And I, I know that I really appreciated that in the beginning because that's kind of how my brain works. Like I want to see like those scary statistics and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I can kind of, you know, like keep in my mind, in the back of my mind, like if I continue drinking, like I don't want to be this statistic. Yeah. And I think they're troubling. Like I know, you know, I think what, yeah, (laughs) I've been sober for four years now, but looking back at when I was drinking, like, I didn't know anything about it, you know, and I, I don't think most people do know like what's really going on because it's just a super normal part of our culture and our society to drink, you know, like it's really just, oh, it's another beverage. It's not really thought of as like, oh, it's a drug or, oh, well, you know, it's a chemical substance. Like what, what does it really do to your body? Like, oh yeah, we all know, you know, it's really not good for you. Or, you know, if you drink too much, you get hangovers and stuff. Or even, like, what I noticed, I think, I forget who posted about it, but they were saying, you know, it's called alcohol poisoning, when really it's an alcohol overdose. But Mm -hmm. they've made the wordplay, like, oh, food poisoning. Right, right. You know, alcohol poisoning. Like, no, it's an overdose. Mm -hmm. Like, you (laughs) you know, and it's, it's just so downplayed like oh you know it's just a drink and even that it's not even a drink because when people go on a diet it's not like they cut it out so it's like what is it (laughs) why is it so on a pedestal yeah I I don't know I kind of circle around that question a lot like why is alcohol so socially accepted and why is it kind of attached to a lot of things like it's attached to like creativity and things like that and like rebelliousness like rebellious movement something like things like that I don't know I, I don't know what it is about our society specifically I guess even like society in the United States that makes us cling so hard to alcohol when we see it as like this freeing thing or something that allows us to like socialize and connect but in reality it can be a very oppressive substance so 
I don't know if it's the fact that maybe some people can drink, you know, quote unquote normally and not yeah. have any detrimental effects. And there's, a, you know, other groups of us that can't drink normally. So I don't know. Like, I, I really I do circle that question a lot, kind of trying to understand or think about why alcohol is put on this kind of pedestal or so well accepted, even though it is the drug. Well, and I think even for, for those of us that became sober, you know, so it's not like we've never drank. It's not like it's, you know, our religious upbringing to where it's always been this forbidden thing. You know, we've been on both sides. So it's not this judgment. I think sometimes people think like, oh, well, you don't drink. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you've just never drank. And so you don't understand like it's fun or it's this or it's that. But it, I kind of like to pose the question. It's like when somebody asks like, oh, you don't drink, like, why not? It's like, well, why do you? <laughs> and, and, and nobody, you know, even when I drank, like, I don't think I ever asked myself that question. Like, really? You know, it's just, it just like, it's like when you order something and it just comes with it. Like, it's just already there. Nobody's really asking questions. Nobody's asking like, well, why are we doing this? Or, or you know, like, how bad is this for us? Like, we know it's not good but like how bad mm-hmm. and it's just accepted and it kind of feels like we've been like duped you know <laughs> and, and and nowadays especially like we're literally in a in a civil rights revolution and i think at least from my perspective when i when i talk to people about sobriety my kind of takeaway and something i like to compare is well you know it seems like this far-fetched thing to, to want to live in a world where alcohol really is seen for what it is. But I really don't think it's that unimaginable because every 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're adapting and we're opening our eyes as a society. Like think about what we thought was socially acceptable 50 years ago or hundred years ago, smoking, smoking when you're pregnant with people thought, you know, being gay was wrong and evil and you couldn't even get married. And now, you know, people are finally realizing how much of a racist society we actually live in. Like people's eyes are beginning to open to the kind of blindness that we've just been walking around in our entire existence. So it's like, why is it so far-fetched to think that we're also being tricked into spending billions of dollars a year on something that's not good for us on top of also spending probably billions of dollars on the healthcare that comes with, you know, the, the side effects of drinking and the long-term effects of drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that I've seen some comparisons before of like, well, we, we used to think that smoking was okay and good for us. And now we know that it's not. So maybe a shift like that where people start to realize that there are detrimental health effects and either quit drinking or I know that the mindful drinking movement has picked up a little bit. So even just Mm -hmm. like reducing your intake or maybe not drinking like high proof drinks, I think even that is a great step. Yes, totally. And I mean, I think, I think we all get it. Like there's a reason that we drank too. Like it's not all lame or all bad all the time you know, there, there were fun times and, and I get it. Like it, it definitely is, a, you know, 
something that can help you relax in certain situations. And, you know, if it was all bad, then nobody would do it. But Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, I love drinking. That was my problem. Like, it was too much. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's and it's all fun until it's not anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference between probably like you said, people who end up getting having issues with drinking, whether it's addiction or just abuse in general, and people who can moderate or drink, you know, less and or not be, you know, I think maybe maladaptive is is the best word for it. But I think it's just it's like what do you what are your intentions with drinking? You know, like are you drinking to have a good time? Are you drinking because you really, you know, enjoy a glass of red wine, like the taste or, you know, you're a connoisseur and you know, all the smells and everything in it, you know? And I think I know when I look back at my drinking, it's like, I was drinking like bottom of the barrel, like the well at the bar and, you know, the barefoot wine. And there was, it was not, it was never about (laughs) like, oh, you know, I, I, so what, what I was saying before we got cut off was basically, um, I think just being able to, to recognize your intention behind drinking. And I think for a lot of people, it's just, it can be habitual. Like you're just used to having that beer at the end of your work day, or, you know, that glass of whatever on a Friday, because it's Friday, like there's no real reason behind it. You're just doing it to do it. And I think a lot of us get trapped in that as well. Like beyond just the the maladaptive, you know, using it as a coping mechanism. I recognize like even in like my boyfriend and he's drank a lot less since we moved in together and since we've been dating for a while. But it's like he had to recognize his own patterns. And it, it wasn't even that there was a problem. It was just you get so used to doing something it's like brushing your teeth that you don't even think about am i doing this for a for an actual reason or just because i've always done it this way right right yeah it can be a habit for sure for i'm sure a lot of people and i think the mindful drinking is really important because i i recognize that not everybody's going to want to not drink you know not everybody's going to get sober and that's totally fine. But I think recognizing like, do I really need this glass of wine at the end of the day? Or do I need like a really nice hot bubble bath? And, you know, to put in my headphones and listen to a podcast and like zone out for an hour and have some me time, you know, it's kind of recognizing like, what, what do you really need? Not just, oh, well, I need to not not be present in this moment so let's just drink Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I totally agree but I know that's just how people deal with things but I know you're gonna be moving soon so I mean are are you stressed about that I mean how are you handling stress now that you're not drinking yeah I you know I was never a big stress drinker um I was more of a I'm bored I want to have fun kind of drinker Mm. um so I think when I get really stressed out I try to plan ahead so I write lists and I try to be as prepared as possible because I feel like that really cuts down 
long-term on the stress that I'm going to have to deal with. And I've gotten even better at that once I stopped drinking. But I... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that. I think that those are great tools. Yeah, definitely. I think I had to learn that too, kind of over time, how to get better at that, especially after I stopped drinking. But I think moving will, I mean, inevitably be stressful. I think that's something Mm -hmm. that I'm just not going to be able to control. It's out of my control. Um, But I think being prepared and being aware that I'm going to be stressed is going to be helpful. And I have um, a supportive partner who will help me move and who also is, you know, kind enough to understand that I am sober and sometimes I just need a time out. So I think all of those combined will help me deal with the upcoming move, which I am both excited and a little nervous about, but I think it'll be good. Yeah. I mean, me and Shane, you know, we just moved and we're finally settled in and it's like, it's such a relief, but it, and looking back, you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad, but it's one of those things, it's hindsight bias. So when you are going through it, you know, the actual physical packing and unpacking and stuff, you're like, oh, this is like endless. And I think especially for, for people who can, can, you know, have substance abuse issues, like stability is really important. And so anything that makes you feel like out of control can be really triggering. And it's just like you said, really important to plan ahead. Like I love that you said, like write out a list, like know what you're going to do if you're feeling like at risk of drinking or having a craving and you're going through like a a stressful life situation, especially when you know you're going to have, it's like, I'm planning to be stressed. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) How am I going to deal with it? You know? And exactly. I think communication with your partner, if you have a partner is really important being like, you know, I want to do as much as I can to be present for the situation. I want to help out. I want to be a part of it, but I might need, you know, to, to step away for 10 minutes and, you know, do a breathing exercise or lay down for a second and just recollect myself. And that's okay. I'm not, you know, giving up or saying this, the situation's too stressful for me, but you're pacing yourself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think one great thing about moving that I can look forward to is being in a space where I've never had alcohol in before, which is nice. True. So is this going to be your first like alcohol-free zone? Yeah. So I, the place I live in now, um, I have roommates that drink, which is fine, but, um, you know, there's like alcohol in the apartment, which Mm. I don't mind, but it's kind of like a weird thing at the same time. And then before the place that I live now, I I had a lot of drinking memories because I drank there a lot. So to be in just a completely fresh space is actually, it's pretty exciting and I think it'll be nice. Do you, are, are you guys not going to keep alcohol in the place at all? Or did you guys talk about that? Like, so I think, um, I don't mind like having beer or anything like that, but I would prefer not to have it stocked just cause there's yeah, really yeah. no reason to, you know, like my partner doesn't drink often. He'll have a drink like on occasion for a special occasion or like if he goes over to his parents for dinner he'll have Mm -hmm. a glass of wine um 
but he's a very rare drinker. So there really wouldn't be a reason for us to have any alcohol in the house unless someone were to give us some. Yeah. And I think we, me and Shane kind of breached the same uh, topic because this is the first time I've lived with somebody else in my sobriety. Like I've, I've lived alone. So I've had that option of not having alcohol in my house. So this is the first time in my sobriety that I'm going to be living where alcohol is. So it's kind of like the reverse of your situation. (laughs) And, you know, and you would think, and when, you know, when I brought it up, he was kind of like, well, you know, you've been sober for a long time. Like, you know, we go over to friends' houses, there's alcohol there or at his apartment, you know, before we moved in together, he had alcohol there and it was never an issue, um, which is true. But, um, you know, part of it didn't kind of settle with me, maybe just because it was unknown, you know, like, because I had never been in sobriety and lived in a house without calling it. And it was like this podcast I was listening to about discipline. And it was basically saying it's easy to be disciplined and avoid temptation when you have no temptation. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, they were, they basically were saying, the metaphor was, it's easy to like open up the fridge and not eat cake when there's no cake in the fridge. But, you know, it's a whole different scenario when there's a freaking cake in your fridge and you have to open it and not eat it and look at it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Even if you have the best of willpower, it just it's kind of annoying just to like, you know, see it. It's like taunting. <laughs> exactly. And that was that was what the podcast was talking about was that the most disciplined people are not necessarily the most the people with the highest willpower one of the first things they do is remove temptation. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's easy to be more disciplined without temptation. So I know Shane and I talked about it and we kind of came to the same conclusion. If he wants to keep like his thing is whiskey on the weekends. If he wants to have a bottle here, I said, that's fine. That was never something that I, but when it comes to like, you know, a 30 rack in the fridge or a bottle of wine, like that's not something we're going to keep there. And if we have people over, we can, you know, they can bring it or we can get it for them. But then when they leave, they can take it with them. So it's, it's just about communication. And I think people who are in relationships, and if they're newly sober, or maybe their partner is, like, I think, don't be afraid to be, like, uncomfortable and have that talk, because it is really important. And it might be the difference between having a lapse or not, you know, if you're not ready to have alcohol in the house, or you've never, you know, been sober with alcohol, living around it 24 seven, like, no matter how much time you have, I think it's okay to be honest about any doubts you have. Yeah, definitely. I think that's amazing that you and your boyfriend were able to have that conversation and have that communication because that's, yeah, such a huge part of being supported and feeling supported is having those conversations that sometimes at the beginning of sobriety or are kind of hard to have because you're scared of what the reaction may be. Totally. And I think the reaction is almost always never anything like you, like you totally catastrophize it and it's going to be awful and it's going to go so bad. And then it almost never really does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're just a little over a year now. What is kind of, you know, besides the obvious, two years of sobriety (laughs) being the next goal like what do you have any other goals along the way like 
besides the obvious of not drinking? Like, do you have other, um, any health or wellness things that you've kind of have been catalyzed by not drinking? Yeah. So I started running. Um, there is a zero proof run group on Strava for women. And I started doing that and it is a huge challenge, which I now enjoy. But if you told me that I would have been a runner, like even half a year ago, I probably would have laughed and said, you're really (laughs) funny because I hate running. But I think cutting out alcohol, um, not having like something to make you feel euphoric, you Mm kind of have to find like those natural highs. And so I feel like running really gives me that, that kind of natural high and thing that I had been craving, but it's something that's healthy for me. That's awesome. So do you do it like once a week or? So I try to run every day. Um, Mm. Some days I'm better at others. Um, Usually I try to at least run a a mile. That's my goal, Uh, which, you know, is like Mm. 13, 16 minutes, however long it takes. So every day is my goal. Um, like I said, some days I am more successful than others, but I think creating, you know, um, reachable goals too is really important because if you say, well, I want to run four miles a day, like I know I'm not going to be able to do that, but a mile for me is doable. So I want to keep setting goals for myself that I know that I can reach, but still kind of push me enough to have something to work for. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can't honestly think of anything better than exercise. I know we've talked about it on the thousand hours before, but there was an article in women's health magazine that had said that people who implement exercise into their routine are 70% less likely to drink and relapse in sobriety. So I think, I mean, that's a, that's a huge percentage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can do anywhere. Like you can do sit-ups like in your room, you know, you don't have to have like fancy equipment or anything. Like you can go outside for a run and you just need shoes that are decent, you know? So that's an awesome accessible tool that I really enjoy. Yeah. And the fact that you found another, like a group of people who enjoy that and are zero proof. It's like, the cherry on top. Yeah, I agree. It's a cool group. It really is. And it's cool to see everyone else's um, little runs because it pushes you to want to do well too. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to convince me <laughs> one day because like I, yeah, running is something I hate, but I also think challenging yourself in sobriety, like, you know, when I look back and I think about like when I was on day one or day seven or, you know, like the first month or two, you can't even imagine anything else. Like all you're focused on is like not drinking. Like if I can just not drink, I will survive and I will carry on. But once that foundation is laid and you can start focusing on other aspects of your life, sobriety just, I think naturally becomes like part of your lifestyle. And then it's like, you can add in all these other things that help you stay sober but then also are are just so good for you like you said adding an exercise or I know for me like I used to not really take my meds or I would you know take them sometimes and not others or they're just not even as effective when you're drinking like I never miss taking my meds now that's just not something that happens because I'm sober every day, wake up and my cognition is there. And I'm, you know, even if I'm tired, like I know what's going on. 
And so things like that, that I don't even think people think about, like you build better habits and, and you're just able to build this life for yourself where you're automatically preventing, you know, you yourself from falling back into old habits because you're, you know, you're taking your meds, you're exercising regularly, you're, you're fueling your body with what it needs, you're getting the sleep you need. And that by proxy, just like, you're just not even as stressed or in situations that created probably like the chaos or the anxiety that led you to drink in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think all those tools really help to reduce that. And I like how you said in early sobriety, it's kind of, that's your one focus is to just not drink and it takes up all your time. And then you mm-hmm. kind of get down the road and get a little bit of sobriety time built up and you kind of look back and are able to figure out what else you want to do. If that makes sense. I feel like in early sobriety, I was trying to do a puzzle and I was like, you know, didn't have enough of the pieces to see what the puzzle was going to be. And now that I kind of know what the puzzle is, I can like look up and kind of see what's around me again. Yeah. And it's, and that's, I think such a takeaway because in early sobriety, you're like, Oh fuck, like this is going to be my life. Like, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, yes, in the beginning, you definitely want to build a super strong foundation and, you know, get all the right tools that you as an individual need for recovery, which I think everybody's toolbox is different. But once you build that strong foundation, you can start to focus on other aspects of your life. Like I can honestly say at four years sober, I really don't, I can't remember the last time I had a craving. I don't like the maintenance work is not really there anymore because everything else that I do in my life has created like prevention, basically, you know, even when I get in a really stressful situation that maybe I would have drank at before, or even the opposite, when I'm at a really fun party or celebrating and I'm out, I just have created this life that alcohol doesn't fit into. Yeah. It's like, why, why would I drink? You know, and at the beginning of sobriety, that's not your thought process at all. It's like, okay, like, I just need to stay away from it. You know, God forbid, you're like, you know, they say the moth to the flame, like, ah, like, keep it away from me. You know, it's such a scary thing. And I think the more time you build up, the more you realize, like, you know, it's not, you vilify it. And it's just this terrible, scary thing. And then you, you get stronger than it. And then you're like, well, fuck you. Like, (laughs) You know, I, I don't need to be scared of you. I don't need to avoid you anymore. I can be around you and it it doesn't faze me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally reminds me of early sobriety where I was so scared of alcohol. I couldn't even walk down like the supermarket aisle with the alcohol in it. I like wouldn't look at it. Mm-hmm. I would like walk really quickly past it because I was so just unsure and scared. But now it's like, you know, no big deal. So you really do grow. And I feel like when I realized I could do that, it was a sign of, oh yeah, like I'm good on my sobriety. Like I feel good. I did the work. Exactly. And, and think doing the work is really important and that doesn't just mean not drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I think the difference people between just being sober or, you know, just being somebody who doesn't drink versus somebody who's in recovery or really trying to work on why they were drinking the way they are. And that involves, I think a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of self-improvement, a lot of reflection, maybe even therapy, 
it just really depends. But, you know, I think sometimes people want the easy way out. And I don't think that that's, if, if you want to get, I think, like you said, get to that point where you can walk down that alcohol aisle and there's no fear and there's no second guessing of like, do I trust myself in this scenario? Then you really need to work on why you were drinking and finding that root. Because once you do, and once you heal, like I think about where I am now versus where I was. And it's like, I could literally be around all of the old drinks that I used to love and all these open bottles and people around me supposedly having such a good time. And I not even for a second think, oh, like I should be doing that. Or why aren't I a part of that? You know, it's the desire is gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's awesome because I think that's attainable for everybody. Yeah, definitely. With, I think, work, yeah. I know for me, yes. sometimes I still have, like, moments where I'm like, you know what, that would be fun. But I know that mm-hmm. what follows isn't as fun. But I definitely still have cravings. They're much more rare than they used to be. But every once in a while, I'll kind of get that feeling. Um, but they're less intense, too, I've noticed. They're not nearly as intense, and they're not nearly as frequent. I mean, what do you what do you personally do when you're feeling that craving now? So I usually just think about what I would lose if I drank. So I don't want to lose my relationship. I don't want to lose the respect of my parents, my family. Um, I don't want to lose anything that I have in my life right now. And I kind of play that tape. And that usually really kicks me in the butt to think, yeah, no, I don't. Mm. It's not worth it. I don't want this. Um, and then... I remember early on, like the first few months, I would really just like, I, I mean, I would have a craving like every hour. So I would like say my little like prayer to the universe of like, help me get through this. Like, I, I can't do it alone. And then I would think about what I would lose, at least three things, what I would lose if I started drinking again. And I would just do that like on repeat in my head. And I would also meditate. So I had a little one minute YouTube meditation video that I had tagged on my phone and I would do that. I would like step out, go outside, go, you know, in the bathroom, wherever I needed to be and just do that one minute meditation. And I was doing those pretty frequently for like the first two months. And then I started doing them less frequently. And now really the biggest thing is I just think of what I would lose if I started drinking again. I mean, do you think, cause I think everybody's different. Like, do you think when you have a craving, like, is it for a specific drink or is it like more of like, I found that when I, in my earlier sobriety, like when I would have a a craving, it was more of, well, I'm feeling super anxious and normally I would go have a drink, but I don't know what else to do. Like, I think I was more like I was craving a relief of some sort, not necessarily the drink itself when I know other people like have specific like actual cravings for like you know like a food craving yeah I think it was like a craving to be drunk like it was a craving to for that feeling and the reasons why would be different sometimes it was triggered by something like a song like a song would come on that I like remember having a good time and I was drunk too yeah and so I would have a strong relation to that 
Um, another one would be like in social situations, just seeing other people and being like, oh man, like that looks really fun. It would be a lot easier to socialize with a drink in my hand. You know, things like that was kind of different for me, I guess. I, I don't feel like mine were triggered by anxiety, except in social situations. Interesting. Yeah, but I think it's it's good people know, like, a craving can come in many different forms. It's not just a one-size-fits-all. But once you figure out what it is, then you can kind of, you know, address it in the way that works best for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think finding out what those triggers are early on are really helpful because then you can either avoid those things or be prepared to deal with them if you don't want to or can't avoid them. Yeah, exactly. Because like you said, if if there's a song on and you're out and about and the song comes on, you know, you might not necessarily be in control of like whether or not you can turn that song off or on. Mm -hmm. So it's like having that toolbox ready. And like you said, being able to meditate or play the tape through Um, Or even I think some people now that, you know, non-alcoholic beers and wines and stuff are available, a lot of people have just kind of switched over, which I think if it's not triggering for you is a great alternative. If you actually enjoy, you know, like I'm really craving this certain taste, then sure, why not? You know, do the NA version. Yeah, definitely. I think there's some quality options now, too. It's There's so many more like pop-up breweries or companies that are creating their own non-alcoholic versions that I know when I first started trying to stop drinking, there was not what there is now in non-alcoholic options. It's incredible. Totally. I think even like two years ago, it was like O'Doul's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's like your only you know, non-alcoholic beer and there's no such thing as non-alcoholic wine or spirits or, you know, now it's like top name brands. People are coming up with like, you know, quality. Like I've had some really quality non-alcoholic beverages, like not just mocktails, like actual, you know, non-alcoholic beers and non-alcoholic like wines where you're like, you know what, this like, this tastes like the real thing. It doesn't taste like apple juice or like, you know, shitty, <laughs> like, I, I think it would, it made me laugh when they, because one of the first things was like Heineken Zero Proof. They were like one of the first, I think, big name brands to come out with it. So when I was going to restaurants, like that was the one that they had. And I would have it, but it was like, this isn't even something that I really liked to drink when I drank. And now I'm just kind of doing it because it, it, I want to have a non-alcoholic beer. Like I, I want to have something in my hand. It, it's nice, but it, it's, it's, it's cool. I think to have those options now when even like a year, like you said ago, they weren't available. And now people are really realizing that there are a lot of people out there who don't drink or want to have that option for the evening. And it's really like it makes me smile like really big when I go to like a restaurant for the first time and I look and they have non-alcoholic options. It's like, oh, like we really, this sobriety thing is really picking up for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think if there's more products and they're popping up everywhere, then there's a market for it and there's a demand for it. So there's enough of us out there. We're demanding it. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Hello. Yeah. And I, I think on that point, like, if, if you speak up, as, as I think as we 
as a community, if we continue to, like we will be heard. I mean, I remember last year when we got that Glamour magazine article taken down and I know people were really upset about Belvedere having that vodka ad Mm -hmm. for like breakfast vodka, which like, I'm sorry, even as an alcoholic, like that sounds fucking gross. (laughs) Um, You know, it, it, and they took that down. They took that ad down and it's like, we can be very powerful if we choose to be like, we have a voice, people will listen. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's exciting for the future to see what we can get accomplished. Yeah. And having so many, I think, so many people who are in our online community who are really passionate about it. Like, it's not, I think, like, this is not just a hobby for people, you know, like, this is their passion. This is their life. And so having so many people who want to be of service to each other and who have the same goal and we can come together and whether we're in the same city or state or country, it doesn't matter, like, and be on board like we can accomplish so much. And I think, like you said, it's, it's an extremely exciting time to be in the sober community and the sober curious community. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm glad to be a part of it. Me too. <laughs> but thank you so much for tuning in today, Esther. Why don't you tell everybody who's listening where they can find you? I am S Sober Otter and you can find me on Instagram at sober underscore otter. Awesome. And we'll also put your handle and your name in the episode title like we always do. So thank you, everybody who tuned in tonight for our usual Thursday podcast. If you want to keep tuning in, we have them every Thursday. So Esther, once again, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Kayla. (laughs) And the last thing I always like to ask, as you know, is what is one piece of advice or um you know little egg that you would give to somebody who's listening who is considering the alcohol-free lifestyle yeah what will you lose if you just try a week a day without alcohol you know just try it out see how it fits I like that so thank you again S thanks Kayla and thank you to everybody who is listening I will See you guys all next Thursday.